0: Well most of my talk's been stolen already, of course. Uh. <laughs> really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I want to talk about uh happiness is a serious business. And um so I'm Nick. Uh I founded this company called Happiness Works about two and a half years ago. I mean I say a company, a business, you know, it it's um it's a sort of money drain at the moment when you're doing a start-up, you know, these things don't exactly always start as you want want them to. But um but I my, my background is that I um I'm a statistician. Uh, I've worked at a think tank in London called the Economics Foundation since about the year 2000. Um, and I, I was asked to do some work on what was called well-being. And uh, basically, I, I was asked that think tanks compete for meaning, that's what we do. We're trying to look at how we can get uh, meaning into policy and, and how does it represent the values that um, our think tank stands for. So I was asked to drive some meaning under the word well-being. And being a statistician, I wanted to put numbers under there about people's experience of life. So I spent really the last 15 years trying to persuade governments, uh, statisticians, statistics, authorities that they actually need to measure things differently. And things like David Cameron's policy on well-being and the fact the Office of National Statistics measures well-being as part of my team's, uh, well, it was the things we were campaigning for anyway. Um, but about five years ago, I started to think about business and it led to a train of thought about could we take these skills about measuring people's quality of life and take them into the business arena. And about two 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 and a half years ago, I left the think tank and set up my own business. Um, so um, really, I'm going to talk to you about, about happiness at work, uh, about happiness generally, and, um, and what are some numbers around that and why numbers are good uh, at making it. Something which seems so sort of up there is grounding it. You know, part of the language of business is numbers. So can we create good numbers around something that really, uh, really matters, like people's experience of work? So I think that nearly everybody gets that miserable people do miserable work. You know, we get this. We understand that that is a waste of potential. Uh, And and we kind of get that happy people, you know, happy, passionate people do great things. But the problem is that there's actually not many people that are really really fulfilled at work and a lot of people are sort of going along okay. And the thing with okay is that there aren't any fires, there aren't any tantrums, there's no big bad signals going on. But okay is not okay in terms of perform in terms of performance and in terms for the individual, for the organization. So there's nothing Terribly wrong, but there's nothing terribly right either and it's and and that's the trap I think that most organizations a lot of organizations get into So I want to talk about happiness and actually I would dispute the fact that uh, happiness is different for everybody Uh, and um, you know, this is actually my best mate Pete okay, and uh, Pete, when he was talking at my, uh, at my 50th the other uh, last year, yeah, I know I don't look 50, but anyway, he goes to me, he goes, uh, he goes uh, the reason that uh, Nick chooses me as a friend is because I'm bolder and fat than him. <laughs> and he is a big man, but he has a huge heart and he's a, he a lovely man. And we can all recognise that he is happy. We can see the wrinkles around his eyes. Uh, he is just embodying it at this moment. <laughs> And what I would put to you is that happiness is a universal human experience, that every human being on this planet experiences happiness, recognises it, knows what it is. And so we can be sure that if every human being experiences this, then this is a highly functional thing for humans to do. Because otherwise, I know evolution doesn't have a purpose, but there wouldn't be the investment over millennia in human beings to experience emotions unless they were useful. And in fact, um, you know, lots of research and, and archaeological research and all sorts of things is showing that emotions come before cognition in human beings. Human beings were compassionate before we were rational. We were, we were, we emotional creatures first. It's, it's, it's a lot of the reasons that, um, you know, I mean, kids, you know, when they're very, very young, have strong emotions long before they, uh, they have uh, words and things like that. They are emoting. And, um, you know, we we understand that things like uh, anger and fear are part of the fight and flight mechanism, that when we feel angry, we're we're basically responding to a situation that um, someone's violated a norm for us, they've overstepped a mark for us, it makes something feels unfair, and we have a response of anger, and uh, anger is experienced in the body. All emotions. The difference between emotions. One of the fundamental difference between emotions and cognition is that emotions are experienced in the body, because they ready us to act. An emotion like anger is giving us energy, so we can respond. You know, maybe you know, effectively humans do have the capacity to physically respond to things, and uh, and anger is allowing us to do that. Fear is about a threat in the environment, and we feel frightened. And it uh, we there's lots of rational. Functional responses to fear we know one of them is freeze so that the predator doesn't see us another is to run very fast away Um, Another one which um, psychology missed for about 40 years in its history because during the 1920s to about the 1960s a lot of psychologists didn't want to study women because they were too emotional (laughs) and uh, and and uh, Women tend to have a fear response which is slightly different than men and it'd be more to group together And uh, respond to a fear together so there's a sort of a a circle that gets made so these are highly functional things that are experienced in human beings and uh, another one which is perhaps more uh, less obvious but sadness is a natural human emotion it's about the loss of a support system and we experience sadness as a draining of energy in the body why is that functional well if you've just lost a support system it would be dysfunctional to run around with a lot of energy and find a new one straight away. So actually it pays us as, a, as an organism to slow down, sometimes for months. Grief is a natural process. It pays us to slow down, to reflect, to think about what was good about the, the loss we have, you know, in the sense that the, the, only, the experience of sorrow and sadness is really a function of how happy uh, and how joyful we had been. It's that loss which we are experiencing. And so a slowing down helps us reflect on that. So what's the function of happiness? It must also be functional. Uh, it's Not only an outcome. Okay, we like to feel happy. We like, it is an outcome. We do feel happy when something's gone well, but happiness is also going to drive things for us. And we use the word happiness to mean actually a whole range of emotions, positive emotions right from a low energy one like contentment, right up to a very high energy one like enthusiasm or joy. The word happiness can catch all of those. But something like enthusiasm is about mobilizing energy to seize an opportunity. We have a lot of energy when we're enthusiastic and we actually transmit that energy to other people. You know, we've spotted some berries that need harvesting or a prey that needs hunting. We're enthusiastic around that possibility and we mobilize our energy to do it. Uh, contentment or satisfaction is a reflective process, particularly when something's gone well, and we're learning our lessons so that we can do that again. Some, some emotions are sort of in the middle there, like interest. Uh, interest is a focusing emotion, which helps us look at, a, commit to a task which might well be challenging, that might stretch us, and actually we need to, we may not have, we might have some short-term pain, some short-term concentration that needs to happen to achieve something. Interest helps us focus do that so all of these emotions are highly highly functional and so when we talk about happiness we mustn't throw out babies with bath waters you know and start thinking that the negative emotions are dysfunctional because they're not they're appropriate in all sorts of ways now there's another thing going on here in this picture which is that you know we can see that Pete is happy and as I said it's functional it's functional for him but it's also Uh, something that happens between us I mean one of the reasons that happy Pete is happy in this picture is because he's with me Um, but uh, but the point really is is that we are happiness is almost a social emotion there's this sort of nonsense that goes on that happiness is selfish it's actually not at all what happens with human beings is that we express joy much more in relationship with other people uh, it is, you know, it's, it's almost a social emotion. In fact, if you walk down the street laughing to yourself, you look mad. Whereas if you're doing it with another person, it's the most natural thing in the world. And emotions are contagious, literally. We, we pick up other people's emotions and we coordinate our emotions with them. And there's a sort of famous idea that Kevin Bacon particularly made famous, but you know, that we have six degrees of separation from every other human being on the planet. And it's roughly right, by the way. Um, And, uh, well, emotions travel in a group to three degrees of separation, which means that my emotional experience affects my friend, which affects their friend, which affects their friend. And for most of us, that's roughly 2,000 people that we affect and we are affected by. So in an organization, emotions are going to ripple round a group. That's just gonna happen quite naturally, all the time. And in fact, if you want to know what the, the fastest moving emotion is, it's anger. That's the most rapid moving emotion in a group. Uh, and uh, sadness is, is one of the slower ones. But, uh, and happiness is in, is in between, it's quite, quite fast moving. So, if you're in an organization, and you have someone on the front desk that's going to greet everybody, for goodness sake, put a joyful soul on the front desk, yeah? Because everyone's going to walk past this person every day, and don't do what an organisation did that I visited the other month, um, which is that they had subcontracted the front desk to a security firm, who were grim and you know, in their uniforms every day, and everyone walks into the business every day and has to sign in, and is miserable before they've even got in the door. You know, A friend of mine put out a job for the person running his front desk, and he, he called the job Director of First Impressions. And, uh, you know, that's the first impression that people have come in and the, the thing with first impressions is there's never second chance. That's an old joke. But, um, so these, these things travel around a lot. Um, so, um, uh, and, and if you want to know about that work, it's, there's, a, there's a very good little TED talk called Connected by Nicholas Christakis and basically the research is coming from something called the Framlington Health Study. Uh, and it's a big study in the USA where they looked at The contagion of behaviours. So things like, um, if you want to uh, lose weight, uh, hang out with slim people, yeah? People that eat well. Uh, You know, don't hang out with people like me, yeah? Hang out you know. Uh, If you want to give up smoking, hang out with non-smokers, yeah? And if you want to be happy, hang out with happy people. You know, some (laughs) people in life feel like radiators. And some people feel like drains, and all sorts of people in between, and also that is obviously contextual sometimes. But you know, it's not particularly good fun being married to a drain, you know, because you end up losing all your energy in life. Uh, And it's not much fun working with someone who's a drain. Yeah, we've all had colleagues that just suck the life out of us sometimes, uh, and that's what's going on. So, look, happiness matters, okay? It is highly functional, it is also contagious. But what what do we know about happiness at work? I'm a researcher, I'm an empiricalist. I like data. And there is quite a lot of data on happiness at work, and we can talk sometimes about what the measurements mean and what they don't mean, but there's a lot of work on, uh, Gallup do a lot of work on engagement. And my sort of take home difference between engagement and happiness is that I think they're two sides of the same coin. They're highly correlated as constructs. The difference really is engagement's focusing a little bit more on behavior. And happiness is focusing a bit more on emotional experience. And engagement is fundamentally the organization's agenda. It's almost a code word for performance. When you're asking, are your employees engaged, you're sort of asking, are they performing? Well, people are not stupid. So if you're asking them engagement surveys and things like that, and you're saying, do you go the extra mile, they do realize that you're trying to get more out of them for the same money. And a lot of them will resist that. It's not exactly a tempting offer to them. So um, if you want to actually engage them, I think the best way is to ask them whether they enjoy their work. Are they happy there? Because then it feels like you want to give them something. And that is a totally different energy than trying to extract something out of them. And it's why I think the word engagement is sort of, uh, I know I might be ahead of the curve here, but I think it's going to die as a word in organisations, because it's really just the organization's agenda. But Gallup do a measure, and it's, it's called Perceptions of Work. They call it engagement but actually if you look at the questions it is about behaviour and and it is very related to happiness at work but they have shed loads of data. So I'm going to quote their stats here and sort of take it as being roughly the same as happiness at work. I actually think happiness at work is likely to have slightly bigger effects than this. But uh, they have 37% less uh, absenteeism when they are comparing sort of teams which are uh, low engagement for them versus high engagement for them. Uh, Gallup low engagement teams, by the way, are almost spot on the US average. If you look at the engagement scores for their low engagement teams, they're almost exactly the US average. So they're basically explaining the difference between okay and great here. So 37% lower absenteeism, what's going on there? Well we all know that when we're stressed we get sick. But what you might not know is that, I'm not saying you're not happy, (laughs) but... (laughs) (laughs) but when you when you're happy you're less likely to get a cold and they've literally done these experiments where they have exposed people to the common uh, cold uh, virus and they've looked who catches it and who doesn't and we know we get ill when we're stressed but the opposite we don't really recognize that actually our happiness when we're feeling good we are protected against all sorts of viruses so you get sick less you also recover from illnesses better if you're happier Uh, you recover from accidents better what's going on there You know, it's not that happiness is something magical, it's that happy people tend to have good social support networks around them. And if you've got people that love you and care about you, they're going to remind you to take your medications, they're going to remind you to do your exercises, they're going to get you to the doctor, and all sorts of things, which means that your recovery time is going to be better. Um, So, uh, and if you look at some data on life expectancy and happiness, the suggestion is, is that happy people. Compared to the average, live about seven to twelve years longer. That's bigger positive effect than smoking is a negative effect. Uh, And so, you know, if you and if you look at smokers, they often have strong social networks. Uh, So, uh, if you're if you're married to a smoker and you love them. And they love you. They're worth much more to you as a friend than they are a negative that they, you, know, you might get a bit of passive smoking. It's a massive effect, much more positive effect. So, um, and you know, and, and luckily for, for guys like me that are happy and plump, you know, it's much more of a predictor of longevity than body mass indexes of suppression. So it's a huge, huge effect. Uh, you also see things like staff turnover being lower. Obviously, fairly obvious. This, you don't leave a job you love. I mean, that's just obvious. People obviously leave for some other reasons. There's a big difference between high turnover and low turnover sectors. High turnover sectors, you know, such as coffee shops and restaurants in London, happiness doesn't have much of an effect because people are only there for a while anyway so they sort of last it out. But more stable jobs, this becomes a bigger effect actually. You get fewer accidents at work. What's going on there? Well, if you are happy at work and you care about your work, you're going to pay more attention. You know, we actually all know that we're more likely to fall over and hurt ourselves when we're unhappy, when we're stressed, when we're rushing, when we're doing this. But if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're in a good mood and you're happy and you're enjoying your life, you actually take more care, you take more self-care, you take more care of others. We see uh, lower, um, we, in, in uh, nursing uh, situations, in wards, we see lower death rates on uh, wards which are happy because the nursing staff are more aware of what's going on. They have a faster critical response time to emergency and they deal with their patients better and that makes a huge impact on death rates and things like that. If you care about your machine, if you're a machine operator, you care about it, you will hear that something's not quite right in the machine and you will pay attention to that. If you don't care, You'll actually want it to go wrong, so you can go and get a coffee break while the engineer comes. So accidents are things, and thefts, uh, politely called shrinkage in the business. Shrinkage is, uh, is lower. You don't steal from a company you like. And then you get higher productivity. Gallup claimed 21%. There's, it, productivity is so difficult to measure at a team level. There's huge differences between different types of jobs about how accurately you can do this. So I've seen figures as low as 11 or 12% when it's a more of a manual task where you are uh, doing a repetitive task, but, but there is still a 10% productivity gain there. In more creative industries, it, I've seen figures up to 40, 60% some claims. Definitely, creative thought is about the ability to put things together, and you don't do that when you're in a foul mood. When you're in a foul mood, you're very narrow thinking. When you're in a good mood, you're open to that. Uh, and that's not to say, That creative thoughts don't come after suffering, but they don't happen during suffering, okay? They happen afterwards when you're back out of that situation. So higher productivity. And you have better customer service. Gallup say 10%. I don't know how they're measuring customer service. I'm not sure if they're using a net promoter value or something like that. I actually find that remarkably low. Uh, I actually think that, I, I, you know, because you've got two variables which are a little bit difficult to measure related together. All the impacts are positive, but I would think that in service industries where your, where your employees are effectively your offering, in the sense it's the relationship between the, the service provider and the service user, that actually happiness at work is absolutely critical. We all know that customer service is related to lots of goodies like word of mouth marketing, lower costs of sales, uh, all that sort of stuff. So customer service is obviously critical. All of that data is looking at lots of teams and it's looking at their their, uh, perceptions of work, um, engagement, happiness and these other variables. But statistically, we talk about the fact that correlation is not causality. This is the fact that High perform- teams that are um, engaged, happy, have these higher performances. It doesn't say which one's causing which. The critical data we want to know, really, is which one is driving the other. Because if, if high-performing teams are happier because they're high-performing, and we all do feel good when we've achieved something, that's interesting, but it's not as interesting as the other way around. Well, there is some data, uh, again from Gallup, and it's very big, Data set, can't quite see it down here, but it's 140,000 people, that's, relatively, that's a big data set, I wish I had that many. Uh, uh, we've got about 40,000 in our data set, so nearly, but not as good data as this, not as clean data as this. Um, happiness at time one, performance at time one, and happiness at time two, and performance at time two. Clearly teams that are happy at time one are likely to be happy at time two. You know, it's going to be a stability here, and performance as well. So we expect that happiness at time one will predict happiness at time two. But we're interested in what's called the cross correlations. Uh, this is something called structural equation modeling or pathway analysis if you're a statistician. And we're looking at, is happiness at time one adding extra uh, predictive value to this, this variable here? Uh, or is it performance to happiness? Or is it both? Uh, and, uh, and, and the reality is that, is that both models uh, fitted the data. But that Model 1 was much better. So happiness was predicting performance more than performance was predicting happiness. In fact, you know, this, is, uh, this is a guy called Jim Harter from uh, Gallup. He's not the most radical guy in the world. But he's going, the, it, the impact of this data is that uh, they suggest that the impact of happiness at work on performance is twice as large as from performance to happiness at work. That is startling. That is not business as usual. The normal business function is that, you know, we'll make high-performing teams and they will be happier. In fact, that's our general mantra of life in the West, which is that, you know, if you work hard and you earn lots of money, you will be happy. (coughs) If you work hard, you know, you can retire and be happy. If you work hard, you can, you know, you can be happy at the weekends and spend your money. We kick happiness out into the spaces, if you're, if, you know, if you're, you know, a lot of our religions suggest, you know, if you're good this life, you'll be happy in the next life. Happiness doesn't seem to be very accepted in the moment. But this is suggesting that actually the goal is not happiness, happiness is the path. That would be more Buddhist, you know, there is no way to happiness, happiness is the way, is a famous Buddhist phrase. So, and, and there's actually statistical data for this. And so I would suggest that happiness matters. But somehow it's still not being taken seriously, it still feels a crazy idea. To put the words happiness and work in the same sentence is provocative still, and yet it's hugely, hugely important. And I can actually show you data about how this is being systematically missed in our economy. This is a business magazine called Business Week in the States, it's sort of a typical investment rag really. But um, this analyst in there goes that the management are focused on the employees to the detriment of shareholders, you know, and he goes, why would I want to buy a stock like that? And uh, this is a typical attitude, you know, the short-termism in the market, I just want my my shareholder value and I want it this quarter. Well he was talking about Costco, one of the big supermarkets in the US. I'm not a huge fan of big supermarkets, but a lot of them have fantastic employment, uh, employment um, uh, programs. Costco regularly comes in the great place to work list in the US, uh, and um, the, the CEO at that time, he's actually now left, called Jim Senegal, said, I happen to believe that in order to reward the shareholder in the long term, you have to please your customers and your employees. That is your route to shareholder value. Okay. In fact, I would say you have to employ, please your employees to please your customers, okay? but, um, but that was what he was saying. Well, someone's gone out and tested this in a fantastic piece of research, uh, a guy I met in the other week actually called Alex Edmonds, and he looked at the stock market performance of companies that are in the, in the great place to work list, um, and uh, he looked at it over a period um, from 1998, which was the first year that Forbes magazine published it, right up to 2008. And, um, and what he did was he created a benchmark, and the benchmark is quite difficult to create, but basically you have to look at those companies in the 100 best places to work, and you have to find their market equivalents for each company, and the list changes each year, so you've sort of got a game where you're sort of buying a pseudo stock portfolio on January 1st, if that's when it's released. And you're selling it on December the 31st. That's the game he's playing. This is his benchmark over that period. Okay, and this is the, is the, is the great places to work. And that is a huge difference. Uh, it's about, over that period, you know, if you'd invested $100 at the beginning, you know, you got $180 this way, you got $240 the other way. That is Warren Buffett style sort of extra, extra um, returns. It's about between 2 and 4% extra return every year. Uh, there are a couple of years where it does less well uh, than, than others, but that's the average alpha is called. Alpha is the extra explained variance of it. And so the guy at the beginning, and I'm absolutely sure it was a guy who was that stock analyst, you know, was not even doing his job. That is in the marketplace that data. So they always talk about having perfect information in the marketplace, and he was ignoring it and was losing out on huge value. So if you know anyone who's an investor, you should tell them, start looking at what's the experience of employees in those companies, because that will predict performance. So happiness matters, and so you can see at that big level about a, a stock market level, but actually how much does it cost a company to be only okay? So uh, when you're only okay, you lose days through sickness, you have higher costs of recruitment, you have reduced productivity, uh, you also will have things like reduced sales, re- uh, lower customer service and less innovation. Um, so even if you just estimate something very, very small, very, very modest here and you put some figures around it, so you say, okay, we will have one day less a year sick per an employee. Uh, we have a 10% reduction in staff turnover, we have a 5%, uh, well, I'm gonna, th- this is the reduction as the cost, but a 5% increase in productivity, yeah? Uh, these ones I put sort of figures, but I haven't actually included them in the next figure because they're difficult to estimate and I, I do want to do sometime a good estimate on these first two, but I actually haven't done it. You have to sort of model things quite carefully, so I haven't even included those figures in here. But I want to estimate the cost of unhappiness. Now, you may not know, but the average size of a company in the UK is 275 employees. Uh, that's, there's 31 million people that work in the UK economy. If you line them up with those that work in small companies at one end, those in big others, the 15th and a half millionth employees in a company about 275 people. That's an average size company. Well, if you look at the cost for that company, it's about £600,000 every year that it's costing them from only being okay. And those sort of, just those very, very modest assumptions I made. And that works out at about £200 per an employee per month for just being okay. And it's not even, I mean I'm taking such modest assumptions there. If you've got someone unhappy they might be costing you thousands a month that individual. But you know, if you've got a company that's okay, you're probably losing at least £200 per person per month from just being okay. Uh, if you, by the way, if you added that to the UK economy, that's £50 billion uh, th- from being okay to just being a step towards happiness. Now, happiness matters, but unless we can actually think about what makes us happier at work, what's the point? You know, if we all just come into work and we're genetically programmed to be one way or another, or something like that, or we can't impact it, then it doesn't really matter. But of course, we can. And uh, we're coming up really with what we call five ways to happiness at work. A bit like, what are your five fruit and vegetables a day? But you know, five is a relatively good number here, by the way. And I'm going to come back to your list in a minute. Because you, you did get three, but you missed two in your list. OK? So um, uh, and, and you actually, what nationality are you? Canadian. Okay, well North Americans tend to miss at least one of these two that I'm going to point out to you. It's okay. very typical in the U.S. particularly where, where more of the research is that they don't miss these, they miss two of these. Okay, so, um, and actually they are the first two that I'm going to talk about. The first thing about happiness at work, and you completely miss, my friend, is relationships. Is connections, which is that we are relational beings and our relationships with other people at work is an absolute critical indicator of our happiness at work. Uh, you know, it, there's a, obviously the old mantra, you know, people join organisations, they leave managers. You know, if you're poorly managed or you don't get on with your colleagues, it's going to be hard for you to enjoy your work. And relationships are, are the most important, uh, one, well, one of the biggest factors anyway. The second one, which you also missed, is be fair which is that if organisations are not transparent, they don't treat people with respect, they don't pay fairly, this is a hygiene issue as much as anything else. But then you're just not going to get off the you're not going to get off the ground at all, you know. And if you're not treated fairly, the emotional reaction is anger. When you feel that you are not treated fairly or you feel a colleague hasn't been treated fairly, you get angry on their behalf. That is a sort of social contagion of emotions and a story will reverberate around an organization very quickly about unfairness in an organization it's really really important to get right and you need that base in any culture if you want to be happier and then you start to get it right oh, well, <laughs> okay so the next one is in power 20 minutes yeah <laughs> <laughs> i reckon you read daniel pink and drive because because you you hit the daniel pink three which are coming up now good. and of course daniel pink didn't make these up either by the way they're basically classically out of something called self-determination theory, but whatever. Empower is about autonomy, is about, uh, is about people being able to choose. You talked about freedom to choose. To be yourself, to shape your work, to influence it. it, uh, is very, very important. And when we feel empowered, uh, we, 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 we much more enjoy our work. The next one is to challenge people, to stretch them, about building, using their strengths, about learning new things, Uh, about achievement. Uh, I can't remember exactly what expression you used, but you were basically hitting this one here. And uh, someone talked about growing and developing. Yeah, we like to be stretched. In fact, it's a fantastic experience when, when the challenge is just pulling us forward, you know, almost by the nose into what we're doing, where our skills are really matched to the challenges we face. When we're too skillful for a challenge we face, we get bored because we're not using our skills. When we haven't got enough skills for the challenge, we get stressed and anxious because we don't have the ability to do it. There's a sweet spot in the middle there, often called flow, uh, a very famous psychologist called Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. Um, and he talks about the flow experiences. Tennis players talk about being in the zone. Musicians lose themselves in the music. Statisticians like me lose ourselves in Excel spreadsheets. Just just the way we are. But you know, if I do get into analyzing data, hours can go by, and I haven't noticed them going because I'm so engaged in my work. Um, uh, challenge. And the last one is Inspire, which is about a sense of purpose, the social value of your work, which is that we like to be part of something that is making a difference. We can see this in the data all over the place. You know, people who are in caring professions are happier given all sorts of other things than people who are just in commerce. Okay? In fact, sometimes the market exploits this, they get paid less, give up income to do those caring professions, because this is what, this is where they get their buzz. So those are, what, those are what they are, and actually, really, if you wanna use the sort of more psychological words, they're about relationships, or uh, relatedness is one of the things, they're about fairness, about autonomy, mastery purpose is what uh, Daniel Pink talks about. Other people will use different words in here, but you can map these against, you can even put Maslow into this if you want to. This is not new, it's just a summary of lots and lots of work that's gone before about what are the sort of things that go. We frame them as these words really to just these to be more positive, active words that organizations can do. Connect, be fair, empower, challenge and inspire. So um, another thing with Pete, and I told you this before, is happiness is visible. We can see he's happy. And really as a statistician I'm interested in can organizations see how happy their employees are. Um, One of my my trainings in my 20s, that's a long time ago now, uh, was I trained to be a psychotherapist. Uh, My mother was a family counsellor, my father was a businessman, I was a sort of statistician. I went and did a training in psychotherapy. I don't really know why, I can't remember, but I did. I loved it. And I did my 100 hours solo, but then I stopped because I became much more interested in systems. But really, the trick, if you want to call it a trick, of a counsellor, a therapist, coach is that they listen and they reflect back. It's really the main skill you learn as a counsellor to listen to your client and reflect back to them so that the client can see themselves. Well I'm interested in how statistics can do that for an organization. In fact I've talked for many years about the fact that our indicators are really helping a society see itself. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to make a system more aware of itself. And um, so that's, that's what we're doing, uh, really, is actually how can we do this in organizations. And we think there's actually a need for this because we've done some market research and that 50% of all UK employees have done a staff survey in the last three years. So there's, there's a big market out for them. But the problem is that 80% of people who did them thought they made absolutely no difference to their working lives at all. That staff surveys were not making a positive impact on their work and that they've become effectively a tick box exercise uh, and people they wait weeks for reports you know they do the survey it's a long boring form and then you know maybe about three months later someone says "Oh, our engagement scores are in and, uh, and it means there's months before any action happens at all and so I will tease this, this sort of or provoke this market and say that actually engagement surveys don't even hold the value they're trying to measure they are disengaging processes. So if you're going to do something in this space you have to do it differently. (laughs) And so we're starting to do it differently Um, we've been running a happiness at work survey for about two or three years now Uh, it gives instant reports, uh, they're fun individuals get their own reports a bit like Cosmo magazine you know mostly A's, mostly B's, what are your happiness drivers? But we're just starting to launch a new tool which is even more radically different and it's basically based on one simple daily question every day. And that was, how happy were you at work today? And people click, and it's just one click. It's sort of like an app. It's, it's mainly delivered by email. Can be a physical installation. And, uh, and people go, oh, you want to do it every day. But actually what happens is that people start to feel noticed that, people are, that they're being asked every day, how was your day? And what happens is you start to instantly see results. This is an unhappy team. Only 25% of this team were happy this day. Uh, A happy team might be 100% happy. You can start to see time trends. This is actually my team's data. So Christmas, um, Steve was obviously working one day between Christmas and New Year. But basically we took the time off there. But you can start to see how data changes over time. And basically we think that the definitive people metric in an organization is percentage of days worked that were happy. You can see that on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis. And it becomes a leading indicator in your company's KPIs. So that actually, instead of having lag indicators for people like absenteeism, like staff turnover, which you can only find out after a lot of time's gone by, you have an indicator which is changing on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, and you can start to understand which teams are doing well, which aren't, and you can start to attend them. We also do what we do a climate survey, normally every month, but it can be less often, but it asks you questions that are important, like your work-life balance uh, every month. And we'll start to produce instant reports that are based around those five ways: you know, how well are you connected, being fair, empowered in that space. You can start to see yellow traffic lights, start to fix them um, that way. The next thing that becomes important is that you know, measurement is fine. I love measurement. I'm a statistician. I love four decimal places. It's not the most important thing, ultimately. It's what are the conversations that get generated by that. What new ideas do people have about how to work together? And do they actually change their behaviour? Because you're only going to get happier at work if you change something. Otherwise, you're going to stay the same. So we have things where people can post their ideas about what's going to make happy. People can vote them. We're actually starting to build a whole evidence-based ideas bank that people can draw on where other, what other organisations are doing, or what does the research say in this area, so that you can start to inspire you. Because it is difficult sometimes to know what's going to be a good intervention in this space. And you can start to plot when they've been done. So one of our beta testing clients was called Forward Partners, they're, they're a venture capital fund. Uh, I sort of went to them to see if they'd invest in us, but they were the wrong type of people. But they said, oh we we'll use your tool though. And they've been using it for about three months, right? And they, they're absolute fans of ours. And, and David Norris, the partner there, goes, you know, the fact we asked every single person every day uh, if they're happy means that their opinion counts. And they've started to have weekly discussions on which actions they get, which were the best ideas to take into action. Uh, one of the partners said, um, uh, we, we used to have this Friday stand-up. And we knew it was important. We knew we should be doing this, but we didn't know what we should be doing in the stand-up, really. And uh, so I'd only give it like 5 out of 10. It was good to do. But he said, now we're using Moodmap, I'd give it 8 out of 10, because we've got useful things to talk about every week. They've had a big discussion about their personal strengths, and they actually discovered that people had strengths they didn't even know were in the organization. You know, digital skills, you know, things that actually had commercial value. And people had come, and they'd been doing a different job, and they didn't know they'd done that before. And they've set targets, such as that no one will leave the organization due to being unhappy. They might leave because they can get more money, they might leave for another reason, but they're not going to leave because they're not happy here. And that's a bold target, really. And uh, uh, Matt Buckland, who's uh, Head of Talent there. You might have seen Matt Buckland's name in the press, really. Did any of you see that tweet which was, Karma, someone's just walked into my office. Yeah, did you see that one this week? He, he, basically, he was interviewing someone and this guy had pushed past him on the tune and told him to F off. And then the guy walked in to be interviewed by him, and he tweeted, "Perfect karma." The guy that just anyway, that's Matt Buckland, by the way. Uh, so he, I think, I think it was retweeted like thirty thousand times or within a day. Anyway, he, he said these conversations happened because the tool existed. So it's uh, moodmap.io. That's what it does. So really, just to you know recap, you know, this is happiness. It is a universal human experience. Emotions and emotional fields exist in organizations. Whether you want to take notice of them and respond to them or not, they are there. Uh, It's contagious. It's functional. Uh, Happy people deliver great results. But okay is actually not okay. And then probably one last point is that a friend of mine always says, the soft stuff is the hard stuff. Making people happier, helping people be happy at work, is not easy. It requires effort, it requires commitment to that, it requires commitment to that process. You can't just doing it, do it by putting a table tennis table in, or just buying people nice lunches. It is about a whole process around the organisation and creating a great culture. But it is achievable, and you can do it. So happiness is a serious business, thank you.